Feel This with Frank and Jess. Welcome to Feel This, a series of experiential conversations between me, Jessica Olber-Singleton, and Frank D'Amato, where we explore trauma, healing, and awakening through the lens of relationship. So welcome, everyone. Hello, and welcome to Feel This with Frank and Jess, or Jess and Frank, depending (laughs) on the day. (laughs) That's right. And you never know sometimes till the end. You don't know. Uh, Hi, Jess. Hi. Hi, Frank. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And I want to say hello to you, the listener. Just want to start with a welcoming. And it's a welcoming to all of the aspects of consciousness that arises within you just today, in your consciousness, in your mind, in your body, whatever arises within me today, in my consciousness, my in my emotional and spiritual body and you listener i want to welcome whatever arises in your consciousness and just kind of starting with this template of welcoming and treating all of the material of consciousness as good as valuable maybe just starting with breathing into that and as you're kind of breathing in wherever you are in your life just breathing into that sense of welcoming and acceptance towards whatever arises within your experience. So from here, just moving into a little bit more awareness, connecting to your senses in your experience of hearing and sound, in your experience of vision and sight, Noticing your experience of smell. Noticing your experience of taste. And noticing your experience of touch, of awareness of your body. And it may seem a little strange what I'm about to say, but this practice of just being in tune with our senses in the moment and our experience of the moment is rather fundamental to having solid, secure, grounded relationships. And some reasons why that is, is it's through our awareness and connection to the present moment that we are connected to ourselves, connected to our emotions, connected to how and what we feel in any particular moment. 
And without that direct connection to our own inner experience, a direct knowing of our own experience, it's very hard to relate to someone else. We don't know from what ground we are relating to them. It's kind of like it's being a little bit lost. It's like flying without a navigation. And we start with knowing, being intimate with our own internal experience first. And if I'm grounded in my own internal experience, then I have a, a, a capability of relating and connecting to another person at a deeper level. Now, if that other person doesn't have a deeper knowing of themselves, that could be challenging too. So you might notice that in your experience as you become more self-aware, more grounded. You may come in contact with people who you perceive as maybe not being as connected to themselves. And then in those situations, just noticing what that's like for you, what happens inside your consciousness. And it is a kind of beautiful thing when two, two beings who have some sense of self-awareness, connection to themselves, connection to their senses, attuned to themselves. When two human beings can relate from that grounded space, it's really quite amazing and beautiful and simple the process of connection and relationship can be. So from here, we might just do a little internal check-in, an, an internal attunement. Here we're attuning towards ourselves and listening within. And there's no goal here. It's not trying to fix anything. It's not because there's a problem. We do it because attuning to ourselves is self-rewarding. And it also becomes foundational for all our navigating through life. So just tuning in and getting a sense of how you are feeling right now. And by feeling, we really do mean emotions. Are you feeling sad? Is there sadness present for you? Is there fear or anxiety present for you? Is there happiness, excitement? Is there frustration or anger, annoyance? And last, is there shame or guilt, remorse? Again, this isn't a thinking exercise. As you practice more inner listening, you may notice you start to be able to just notice that you're feeling things without even knowing a reason for them. You can just ask inside them. Sometimes you'll just hear, I'm sad, there's sadness. And you may not know why that is. And that's okay. Just be with 
the emotion as it is, and it can fill out over time as you attend to it and attune to it. But the important part is whatever's here, whatever's here for you, even if it's a kind of numbness, lack of emotion, whatever's here is welcoming it fully. Okay. So welcome back. That was a lovely meditation. The thing I found myself noticing during the meditation that felt interesting was this idea of how we listen, what we listen for, what we listen to, kind of what we attune to and the subtleties in our system. And how when we're kids, everything is like, it's, it, it's like, it's got to be kind of a strong volume to get our attention. Oftentimes, you know, bright colors and loud noises and big energy and, and then combine that with, I think most of us probably grow up with these messages of like, kind of ignoring our bodies or disconnecting from them. And it made me think, you know, all the years I was teaching yoga, how oftentimes I was kind of teaching people to listen to their bodies so that it wasn't just, I don't feel anything or this is painful, but like finding some sense of what's in the middle there. And I think a lot of people, they don't hear their body till it has something dramatic to say. And so there's an association there that if, if I'm noticing something in my body, there's probably something wrong. And I don't know, there's a whole lot of different avenues that that can kind of relate to, but that just felt really interesting to me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that feels kind of exciting and interesting to me. It, it sparks some energy around what I call pattern recognition. Like when I hear you say something and then like my parts go, oh, I... I recognize and I could connect to what you're saying as an example of something important that kind of feels like it becomes this small thing that gets expanded and bigger and there's a lot in there. So what the idea that what you were talking about, about expanding, starting from a place of, oh, either there's pain or there's nothing and then opening up that experience and in terms of the body. And that's kind of how I, look at those lenses of the senses, the more I like really slow down and really experience them, the, there's a kind of whole universe that opens up just inside those senses. And I can take each one of those senses and really bring my awareness almost like more and more microscopic to the pure experience of that sense. And as I do that, it, it really opens up my experience of life in that moment it just gets so much bigger and i get somewhat fascinated by the process particularly with my eyes and my hearing those are probably two of the senses i pay most attention to in a, in a meditative space I, I find i can kind of get really interested and immersed in the experience of vision or sound even with my eyes closed, or, or maybe even particularly with my eyes closed. Mm. Just following the patterns of light and dark and just bringing my awareness to that and watching as when thoughts start to come in and then just shifting 
back to awareness of those visions and, and aware of, of what I'm seeing and awareness of how that shifts my body and my nervous system starts to relax. And it is through that being able to be really present to my in the moment experience and curiosity just about pure experience. It really opens up a whole world and it gives me such a grounding into myself because I could return to that place in moments where my nervous system might start to get really a little activated, which I'll move into some content around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, which I'll go into the kind of bridge segue into my check-in there, if that feels good. Anything come up for you as I, what I said, any responses to that? It felt good. And, and it's sort of more in the realm of like, my mind is kind of going into exploring certain ideas or, you know, the potential to see how what you were just talking about relates to, you know, various things we talk about here in this space, but mostly feeling very connected and happy to be here and just curious about your check-in. I know I didn't have much of a check-in as far as what I'm bringing in, but that, that feels okay right now. So yeah. Well, I'm, I feel really calm in this moment. I have a little bit of excitement in general about our podcast and about this work of sharing this. That, that's kind of present for me. I'm just feeling like a kind of energy of a sense that a sense of real possibility about sharing and teaching some of these many of these things that we have to offer. So that's just kind of like a background energy that I'm sitting with. But the biggest, at a very me chat level, the very personal level, this last weekend, I, and I think I had talked about it maybe in our recent podcast, was had kind of organized a mini family reunion. And my mom is one of nine children and I'm an only child. So that's a really big, we have a very big difference in that regard. Or I grew up as an only child. I, I do have two brothers, but they're, they're half brother. You know, I, I didn't grow up with siblings. That's a whole other complex story, which we can get into at some, some future point, but very interesting. Like I was always, because nine siblings, it's a big, I'm Italian American, big Italian American family is very hectic, chaotic, and noisy, a lot of yelling, a lot of people yelling at each other, fight. This was just really common. I didn't, I could, I didn't like it at all. Also, and I may have mentioned this in the past, my, I witnessed my grandmother and some of my, my mom's siblings be pretty verbally abusive to her. My, my grandmother, particularly her mother believed that her job was to kind of beat her children down physically and verbally. And that, that was the only, that was really where she really believed that her children, when they were struggling, were just being stubborn. And the thing that she had to do was hurt them physically or emotionally by calling them stupid, by telling them they'll never do anything. She really, I do believe she really believed that she was helping them and that if anything, she was failing by not hurting them enough to break their wills. And so witnessing that, now that I understand all that now as an adult, having done a lot of healing around 
the trauma of witnessing some of this and witnessing my mother. So now I have a much more understanding perspective. I could even have a compassionate express perspective towards my grandmother who had a, a ton of responsibility and fear and pressure on her shoulders and very little education to, to, that told her anything different. The consequence, however, as for me as a kid was to be, for me, was to be very standoffish with my mother's family. I, I didn't like being around that environment. I didn't understand why she was being treated that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a long history to say the idea of me going, going to a family reunion, <laughs> let alone organizing one. It's, it's a, that's a, a long road that I've come. And, and then uh, attending it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually going to it. <laughs> it. Yeah. And that, that strain came interestingly. It was kind of a, a seed that my father put in my head, like, oh, it would be a good idea. Like, these are things he would never do, but these are, you know, you should do that. You should, you should get your family together. Your mom would like to see her siblings. That would be good for her. And while that also would bother parts of me, because he's like telling me what to do, and my parts are like, don't tell me what to do, my young parts. The seed was kind of planted, and then I think we talked a, a while back, my aunt came to town, and I think we talked about that. Yeah, yes. yep. And from that experience, we had such a wonderful experience. And I kind of reconnected to my aunts. And then I kind of was like, oh, wow, I'd really like to see them. And it would really be nice for my mom to see them. So just kind of, you know, just did it. Hey, let's pick a date. And we'll meet in South Carolina where most of my mom's siblings live. And so we went there this weekend. There was six of my, five of my mom's siblings were all there. There's six still alive. One couldn't make it. But they live far away. And so we all went there. So there's two major, two major kind of strains of this experience that I'd like to unpack. So there's a lot here. So if you feel okay with it, Jess, this could be a me chat episode. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just pause right here. Mm-hmm. That there's kind of two strains of experience that I I want to talk about. One is kind of contained in the weekend of the experience. One is just what that experience was like and maybe a little post-processing here with you. I could do a little unpacking. And then one is the the transformation and changes that are unfolding out of that experience. So those are the two kind of strains to come. But I'll pause right here and ask you, Jess, yeah, what's coming up in you? How are you how are you experiencing this in the moment? right now how are you feeling i appreciate you asking it's it what i'm noticing is how much i was sort of in the present listening mode and now that you've kind of like paused which i like and turned toward me i'm like oh what am i feeling so so i'm feeling definitely primarily curious and compassionate. So like a lot of just presence and self energy, I feel is what I'm bringing right now. And a lot of compassion, you know, for for all involved, just and even the way it reflects into my own system. So feeling compassion for your grandmother, feeling compassion for her nine children, feeling compassion for you feeling so much joy at hearing where you are with all of that now and 
that five of the six who are still alive of your mom and her siblings came together. I don't know how it went, right? But just the fact that it happened is very, feels, feels good, feels like hopeful. You know, both my parents have mixed relationships with their siblings, some, you know, totally estranged, some just sort of who is this person? Why are we so different? I have nothing in common, you know, just a whole range. So then it reflects kind of into my system in a personal sense of kind of looking around at my own, you know, lineage and and this idea of sibling relationships. It makes me curious about that in my own system and nothing specific, just more like almost turning to the room in my own house that is full of that and sort of looking around maybe in a little bit of a new way. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting, because as you were reflecting that experience of your own family, it gave me a little, oh, wow, no, there is not a sense of division in that regard in my family. Like, they do, like, of course, they have very separate lives, and they don't, they're not talking to each other. I mean, some, some siblings are more than others, but there, as you were speaking, I got a felt sense of the closeness that's in my mom's family there. Yeah. A yeah, a sense of closeness, a sense of, yeah, I, that's the best word I can put to it. Very much willing to show up for each other and be there and, and be involved, which was some, one of the things that I did not like when I was a kid, like it felt oppressive, right? Like, cause my mom's family could be very involved in telling her what they think she should or should not do. And she would be very swayed by these things. And I could feel I always was quite aware of the power of my mother's family in influencing our lives. And I didn't like it when I was a kid. I could, and I also didn't trust it, right? Because I saw, gosh, you know, this person's really mean to you and they have so much influence over your life. That's not good. I don't want them to have that much influence over my life. So I, as I was growing up, as much distance as I could get, I really wanted to individuate. I really wanted to individuate from my mother's family, but I also wanted to individuate from my mother and father as well. I really had a strong drive for that throughout my life. So mm-hmm. that said, in short, I would say it was a very, really good experience. I know for me, it was an incredibly good experience. My sense is it was a very good experience for everyone else as well, with maybe one exception, which is what we'll get into. But the two strains, one, just my own experience of being in the environment and at various points, seeing the thing that my system, when I was younger, would feel so overwhelmed by and frightened of, which is, I would say, a, and, this, and I just want to be really clear, this is all my perception, right? This is just how I perceive and project. I hold none of this to be true in any absolute way. The only thing that's true about it is that I perceive it. That's, that's the only truth here. So let me just be really clear about that. And so I hold no attachment to this being true, any of these judgments that I have and perceptions to be true in any real way, aside from their, they, they have a felt realness to me. My perception is that there is a kind of culture of blaming that goes, and, and blaming is al- it's almost like a currency that gets passed back and forth. It's kind of like a little hot potato. And the way that the the family interaction might go is someone might 
say, well, hey, why didn't, you know, why didn't you do this? You should have did this. You should have, you know, parked the car outside on the street. Why didn't you park the car on the street? Well, you, and then my, my uncle go right back to someone and say, well, you should have told me before I came down here. <laughs> if you, if you had told me before I did it, then I would have parked there. Right. So it's, and it's this game, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to, and then everyone's ready to defend themselves at any mm-hmm. moment. Everyone's ready to, you know, and there's a, a, a jokiness that comes with it so that it could, it could cut like in the sense of, it could be like, a la- we could all laugh about that, but there's a tension in the laughter as well. And then sometimes if tensions are a little, you know, there's a little bit more pressure in the system in any particular moment, that could turn into flashes of yelling and anger. And in the past, that's what would happen, right? So it would be like, oh, it might, might start out like, oh, why don't you do this? And if someone's not, maybe they're in a quote unquote bad mood, they're, they're holding something, they might just lash back out and that could escalate. That's just the environment. And so I got to see that and I got to be a part of that and see myself and how I would navigate that. And, and most times, really well. And so there's a uh, little moment of example, like many members of my family feel like it's really fine to negatively comment on appearance. (laughs) So I'm, you know, I have long hair and have a long beard. And so my uncle, you know, and I think at the root of it, he just feels a sense of like, he doesn't recognize me. He's like, I picked you up for the airport. And I didn't even, I didn't recognize you, right? And so, so there's like a, an uncomfortable feeling, right? If, if I'm expecting to feel familiar and then I don't feel familiar, I feel unfamiliar, that feels uncomfortable, right? But then the reaction to that is, why do you have your hair so long? Yep. <laughs> recognize, right? That's the tone of it. Mm-hmm. Right? You should be doing something different. It doesn't feel comfortable to me, right? So I'm sitting at the table and my uncle is commenting on my hair I, that, you know, it's long and, you know, why is it so long? I couldn't recognize you, you know, and there's this kind of edge to it. And that feels fine. Like I'm smiling because I f- have this felt sense in me of what I'm describing to you. I, I don't feel it, it doesn't feel like a problem. It doesn't feel like an issue. Then, the, then in the next breath, and there's like six of us at the table, just all sitting around eating, chatting, whatever. My mom's husband then makes a comment about my beard. And it's like, oh, well, you know, now, you know, the beard is just, it's nice, but it's a little too long. If you just shaved it on the, you know, so what happens in my mind is, oh, this is becoming a group conversation, a single conversation. That's fine. But as soon as it started to, it's like a fire that spreads and I could see, and, and I have plenty of roadmap of experience, this becoming a group conversation about the, my appearance, right? And there was something really clear in me that was like, no, this is not going down this way. And so I made a very clear, strong statement, very loud. and said, you know, the thing about my appearance is I choose it to be this way because I like it this way. End of conversation. Next subject. We're, that, that's it. Done. And I literally said, not, this conversation is done. Next topic. And then, and I, I said it very jovially, like, but strong. There was, there was force in what I said, but, but, you know, like, hey, I choose my appearance because I like it. That's, that's the thing about it. <laughs> know that. And now that's the end of that conversation. Let's talk about whatever else, doesn't matter. And, and I 
felt comfortable with that because I also felt like, even as I say it, I also had this awareness that, you know, people didn't, don't really have any malice when they're having, it's, they're socially anxious. Somebody's talking about something. Oh, I can make a comment on that. He seems okay with me commenting on that. He's okay with Vinny commenting on that. I'll comment on too. Like, oh, I went to, you know, I went to Peru. Oh, I went to Peru last year too, right? Like there's not a certain sensitivity to, oh, this might be uncomfortable with this person. That doesn't necessarily mean there's a, a maliceness to it. And so all I have to do is just be clear and just go, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you guys are enjoying talking about my appearance. <laughs> that conversation's over now. Let's move on to something else. And in that way, as I see it now, is very kind of self-care, self-protective. Like I'm not going to let, I can almost like feel there are little kid parts in me that are present. And it's like, no, you're not going to talk about my little kids like that. You know, no, you know, let's change the subject. We'll do something else. So I'll, that's just one memory. And my felt experience of that memory as I sit with it now is extremely positive. Like right now I feel a lot of warmth. I feel I have, I don't have any judgment or negative feeling towards, you know, my uncle or my, my mom's husband in that regard. What I do feel is a sense of clarity, strength. It's a kind of an experience. I, I have a term I haven't touched in a while, but it's a, it's a good term. I call it latent growth. It, it, it's an experience where I didn't really change in that moment, but it was a moment that allowed me to see the growth that has already happened in me. Meaning, you know, there might be a time where that, that moment would have been a struggle for me, where I might've felt, oh, I feel triggered. I feel upset. How do I handle this moment? You know, and then make a difficult but good choice to say what I said, right? Which is very different from what I experienced. What I experienced was like, it's almost like, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It was something I didn't know I had a, I was able to do so easily until I had the opportunity. Yeah. Right? And then there was the opportunity and I just like, oh, I just shot that three-point shot and it went in no problem. And I was like, oh, I never had the opportunity to shoot that three-point shot. No one passed me the ball in that position. But now that I see, you know, I've been working at the gym on this for a year and now it just came quite naturally. Right. So latent growth, meaning it was growth that had already happened before that moment, but hadn't had a chance to manifest in the world. And it was the moment where I got to see it actualized. Like, oh, wow, look, that's me. That's how I handle things like that now <laughs> with, with the kind of clarity, calm, jovialness as well. So I'll pause there. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm feeling really happy and sort of what it feels like a celebratory energy, like a little bit of pocket confetti for the moment, and and also really like just I thought of the listener many times as you were telling your story, and I thought about all the like each of us has our family stories and our family dynamics, and just imagining any number of ways in which your story might land on someone and hoping that the listener is caring for their nervous system, you know, like, and just the healing I felt over the course of your story as it started. And that feeling that so many, I think many people in, you know, before you spoke out and spoke for yourself from a place that felt good, not from a place that felt necessarily even 
defensive or, or, you know, I'm being attacked. So I have to protect myself. It was just like, this isn't working for me that for many people before they even, you even got to that point in the story would have felt sure that you were being bullied, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, that, that wouldn't have been true for someone else. It's just interesting how the parts we bring into a circumstance determine the way we see the circumstance and giving your uncle and your stepfather, like the benefit of the doubt that they were just having a lighthearted, you know, there was little investment and, and little, you know, nothing, nothing negative behind it. They were just, they had opinions. They were going to share them. It was, you know, the subject was on the table. They had something to add to it. No big deal. How much that affects our sense of what's happening to us in the moment. And also, it really struck me, I, I, I don't have the experience, generally speaking, it's not one of my stories that I was bullied, really. I was sort of psychologically tormented by my sister, <laughs> but not bullied, and definitely not a group bully situation. So I, I can kind of look at that and imagine how it might be for someone else. The thing that really struck me as being, and, and we don't have to get into this, but just to share this came up, was how hard it can be for me in a moment like that to find my voice, to, to speak up when the moment to speak up arises inside of me, to let that then move through my system and take up space in the room. And so it felt really almost like in my, it, it almost pushed my, not pushed, but it took me inside myself to an edge of growth inside myself just to hear you tell the story just to imagine how much my nervous system, I would probably be shaking and my heart would be pounding, my armpits would start sweating. Even if I knew it was the right thing to say and then I said it, I would have a very intense nervous system response. So it was very interesting just to, 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 to get to go through that within my own system and to hear what a positive experience it was for you and how easy it was for you. That's where the pocket confetti comes in too. Did you feel anything happen as you were having that experience just now? Did you feel anything happening in your body as you were, when you were talking, like, as you were kind of imagining it going to your edge, did you notice any activation or anything happening right now in you? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, even a little bit of like the, the energy sort of rising up a little, a little bit of like my heart palpitations, a little bit like whatever, I, it's a subtle thing. It's like a, a feeling that the volume's about to be turned up. So something in me is heightened, ready to respond a little bit, you know, that, that sort of, ooh, you know, the energy is, is rising and something might be about to happen kind of feeling inside myself. We have a kitty visitor, by the way. She's rubbing on the microphone. <laughs> She's got something to say. <laughs> yeah, if she'd just come purr in the microphone, we'd all be better for it. But I don't think that's her thing. Yeah, that yeah that feels that feels really good. I wanted to take a little moment with that because as you know, I was aware as I asked you. I was aware as I asked you that, you know, what were you feeling in the moment here between us? I think there was a little teaching moment there for me, for the listener, for myself, for, you know, for anyone around, like, if you're, if one is listening to this and going, oh, how do you do that? How do you 
how does you how does one go into a situation like that and be able to do that and you know speak for your truth and be calm and clear and assertive but also not aggressive the clarity for me is it's right here right the skill and what i was talking about when i first came in it is the practice over and over of being self-attuned in every moment so i don't need to wait until those experiences happen it's that 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 wasn't solved in the moment when that happened that is a result of consistently and diligently paying attention to my inner experience right now like right now if i pay attention to my experience right now as i've like talked about it a lot those are like the scales those are the scales right like if we stop right now wait what am i experiencing right now and the more i do that the more my hand you know, my my hands go through the scales they start you're talking about piano scales yes piano scales my hands okay. go through the scales i'm making an analogy here between uh -huh. being aware of yourself in the in any moment and stopping as we did in the meditation as i'm inviting us to do right now stopping and pausing and becoming aware of what you're feeling what's happening in your body what is it that your body is wanting or needing in this particular moment the, the consistent paying attention to that attuning to that you become more self-attuned to that 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 is the scales that is, and the more you practice that, the more your hands just fly up the keyboard such that when you go into a situation like that, I was, there was a momentary flash in my body that I was immediately aware of that there was something that just said, no, when my uncle was speaking and talking about my hair, there was a, yes, I was, I felt good. I felt a little edge, but yes, I know where my yes is. And then when the next thing happened, it was clearly, no, it was clearly out of the bounds and it was that's a no and that just felt free to come out and there was no repression because my system has had a lot of practice at that because my so my hands just went up the scales no problem that wasn't it wasn't about anything i really did in that moment that is that moment is just the tip of the iceberg that one can see but the iceberg is a consistent a practice of being attuned to one's own state in the moment so when I asked you to, what do you, you know, did you know this, what you were feeling now, it was an invitation to that practice. And so for the listener, the same, as you're listening to this now, the practice of really connecting with yourself right now, this should, this probably is a low stress environment for you right now, right? But it might just even these ideas of being in a family situation where you're starting to be the center of what we might call negative attention or bullying of some sort if we're going to put it in that frame can start to bring up sensations emotions in the body particularly depending on your trauma history and this is a perfect place to practice the scale of presence to yourself and self-attunement because it is that quality that i am connected to myself that allows my system to trust me to handle that to to be myself in that situation and speak my truth so i'll pause there yeah, it's interesting. Oftentimes, I, I, I kind of I like my mind, my my intelligent, quick mind is frequently on board. Like, yes, I agree with everything. But then when it gets down to like the actual practice of things, suddenly I'm like, 
oh, how do I do this here? You know, what does that actually look like? So that's a really, I felt really glad that you did what you just said. What you just said felt like a really good teaching moment. And for me, this is a safe space for the listener there. You know, here's what I'm imagining that the listener doesn't actually have to react or respond to either of this. They're in a pure receiving safe. They can hit pause. They, they're not going to hurt anybody's feeling, you know, like they're just having their own experience. And what I noticed about myself as a recovering codependent Mm -hmm. is that in the moment that you asked me, I wasn't attuned to it because for me, oftentimes when I'm like in this space, I'm, I have to, it's still a practice to attune to myself. I'm frequently like attuned to you as the other in the room. Like, and that's something that is a growing edge also for me. Like, well, Frank's okay with what's going on. Why do I need to check in with myself? Mm. You know, and there's so much there that we don't have to get into, but it's just interesting how that can still live in my nervous system. Like even, and then, yeah, just even if, when I'm in the house alone versus when my husband's at home, you know, the person I feel the safest and most, you know, relaxed around probably in the world that even if he's just in the house somewhere, I think differently. I attune differently. I turn toward or away from things differently. And so it's, it's just interesting for anybody else out there that maybe could relate that there's these different levels of, and there's different ways of practicing. So practicing attuning to myself around you, Frank, who I feel safe and comfortable with around my husband is a place to begin, you know, that growth so that when I go into a situation that might be a little bit more stressful or a little bit more unpredictable or something that the practice, the scales, you know, serves me. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We will be back next Sunday with part two. Bye, y'all.